Welcome to another episode of the Give Me Liberty podcast of the Standing for Freedom Center right here at Liberty University. Look, our culture is facing an identity crisis in our anti-Christian age, lies pertaining to human nature, the human body, identity, and value are all spreading rampantly. And some of this, much of this, is actually seeping into the church. In times like these, the church must stand up. It must stand clear, convictional, firm, courageous. We need ambassadors for truth in times like these. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield is a premier example of an ambassador for truth. Her conversion story is nothing short of miraculous. Her most recent book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, is designed to equip the church to stand firm on truth despite the pressures coming from our culture. Buckle up. You do not want to miss this. A critical conversation with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield on the Give Me Liberty podcast starting now. And welcome back to the Give Me Liberty podcast, the Standing for Freedom Center right here at Liberty University. And we've actually been enjoying a conversation with our special guest here on Liberty's Mountain, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. And by the way, you said off camera that I can call you Rosaria. And I said that because my PhD is in English. And unless you need a doctor to fix a metaphor, I think you better call me Rosaria. Okay. <laughs> so you can't like, you can't like operate on my spleen. Or I something. have, uh, okay. I, I, no, yeah, okay. no magic. Uh, no Got magic. No magic. <laughs> what I love right now is we're sitting here in the studio and I see a Bible. You didn't bring your book. You brought the book, right? Yeah, I and did. And, and then and, with lots of little tabs on it. That's amazing. <laughs> and so here we are. This is this is the center for uh, bibliocentricity. I just made that up. Yeah, it's like a bush word, strategery. <laughs> so so we're bibliocentric here, uh, and we want we want to uh, rightly divide the word of truth, Amen. the scripture commands. That's right. You just spoke before ten thousand plus students on five five lives. You covered really your testimony, but sort of the five lies that are facing not only our culture but our church today. Yeah. And I, I, by the way, I would love for this interview to go three hours if yeah. you could. I know we can't do that, but but there's a lot that's facing not only our culture but is really spilling over into the church. Yes, and it's kind of off camera. You, you know, you had named names like. Um, you know, there in, in com, uh, convocation, but like the revoice and, and others. Side B, right? This whole approach of sort of LGBTQ plus affirming Christianity, where the it's uh, that your your immutable characteristic, your identity mm-hmm. uh, as a person, is that I'm gay. So it's not just an adjective; it's like an adjective noun. I'm I'm a gay Christian. It's rank heresy. Yes. And, and so, and, and obviously you have the background to, to speak to it. You say, um, look, I was, I was also fooled by this, but now I, I am here to speak the truth and I'm, I want to warn others. Right. Um, talk a little bit about, I think this is the, one of the things that, that it's easy to talk about the things that are going on out there. Right. Um, but how it's really impacting the church, because right. I saw it with BLM. I will say that I saw intersectionality invade. It was very invasive. I saw Gospel Coalition articles being written that were trying to sort of um, merge together, amalgamate a a version of Christianity and this thing, whatever this thing was. Um, But we're also seeing it with this version of gay Christianity. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I think that's where we really have to understand that bad ideas have sources. And so I am an English professor. I do this really radical thing called citing my sources. And that is because we need to know where these bad ideas come from. So if BLM was a problem, if cultural Marxism is a problem, you should think of that like a broken leg, which mm -hmm. is a problem, but it's not quite the same thing as a fatal heart attack. Mm -hmm. And what you see in the LGBTQ plus movement within the church, what you see is a full scale attack against mm -hmm. the created order. Um, although, you know, as if, as if somehow the seeds of the gospel are not in the garden. It is rank heresy. If I want to be a little bit more polite, I'll say it's neo-orthodoxy. We can tease that out. But it needs to be uh, f just you know, eradicated from the church. What about these people? Well, here, we don't throw, people, we don't throw anybody away as Christians. Mm -hmm. If Preston Sprinkle, West Hill, Revoice, Crew, y'all want to repent, mm -hmm. you know, come back. And one of the things I do in my book, I start with my own repentance. I believed all of these lies, certainly as an unbeliever, but I brought a whole bunch of them in mm -hmm. as a believer. So repent. If you don't repent, maybe you should go sell insurance. Yeah. That would be a good thing. Yeah. But stay out of the church mm -hmm. because you are putting millstones around the necks of people. You are harming people. LGBTQ is not just an indwelling sin. And it's not just a political movement. It is both of those things. But it is also our nation's reigning idol, mm. since LGBTQ is now written into the policy of Bostock, Obergefell. Um, these are big issues. Um, transgender ideology is in Every federal government, every government school as a federal mandate as part of anti-bullying legislation. And yet at the same time, we listen to the Gospel Coalition tell us, oh, put your kids in public school. It's a first-rate education. Well, unless we're partying like it's 1999, that's nonsense. Yeah. And so since I created this world, you know, you didn't. You guys are all good here. But I did this. Mm. I see my thumbprint on this. I need to help clean it up. Yeah. And so that's the impetus of the book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. A number of moms and grandmas wrote to me and said, my church says we need to major on the majors, but we can't even decide what the majors are. Yeah. What's going on? And so I came up with three reasons for why this is a problem that have unleashed five lies that have snaked their way into broad evangelicalism and into parachurch ministries. And we need to uh, we need to know, we need to live our life with our eyes wide open. And when we sin, we need to repent. Mm -hmm. As Christians who are also public figures, we must not think that course correction is enough mm -hmm. um, because it's repentance that allows us to mark what we've done. And it's repentance that allows us to give glory to God. So if we're not seeing God bless us, I'm saying Aiken's in the camp. Let's go repent. Yeah, amen. Well said. Um, there were there were several things that you had said, something along the lines of empathy with people who sin the same way you do 
works against your sanctification and against their salvation. You know, it's interesting, just a few years ago, I remember hearing among sort of the, there was a, there was a terminology that was being used both at the Gospel Coalition, I think the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and so other parts, uh, other corners of evangelicalism, and it was this idea of being winsome. And it sounds a little cringy in some circles. Other circles are still using the term and are undetoured, maybe because they're not aware mm-hmm. um, that, there, that there are definite guardrails. But that word has been exposed, mm-hmm. that winsome word, that really it's about, it's a really about empathy, but without, without limits and without guardrails, without justice. Yeah, absolutely. The pronoun hospitality. Right. You know, right. saying things like, you know, if somebody is a non-believer and they enter your church and say they're transgendered, let go. Just go ahead and call Matthew Jill. Right. Right. And I was one of the leaders of all that craziness. Mm-hmm. So you are you are dining with the devil here, right? But I have repented. I want to mark this as repentance. Um, and you know, why do we sin? Because we're stupid. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like because our minds are darkened. But we ought not create a ministry out of thinking that we're more merciful than God. Yeah. So, you know, we, I think we do lean towards that trap. I'm going to say women probably a little more easily. I mean, the the sin in the garden, you know, what did Eve do? You know, I, I think that women, part of our more nurturing, creational capacity involves mm-hmm. being more given to empathy, more, more maybe more interested in seeing things from other people's point of view. Mm-hmm. But uh, Joe Rigney does a fantastic job with this. Oh, yeah, Love sin him. of empathy. Love yeah. him. The sin of empathy. So it's not that it's always wrong. Yeah. It's just that it's not the magic bullet. And if I'm, you know, drowning in the river, please don't jump in with me so you can experience things from my point of view. Yes. Stay on solid ground and throw me a rope. But the, the, the pronoun hospitality thing and the, that transgender issue, that is what is moving just ferociously right now. And that is why Christians should have no time, no time for Preston Sprinkle, mm-hmm. no time for crew, mm-hmm. take a backseat gospel coalition, let the grown-ups enter the room. Yeah. Because it is very serious. I speak before school boards. I speak before the North Carolina legislature. I meet people who have castrated their 14-year-old son because they thought they were doing the right thing. And those people need the gospel. Yeah. And, and, and specifically the gospel that says, yes, you've tried to mock God. But we serve a risen Savior. And if you repent and believe you will be made the man you were meant to be forever. The new Jerusalem. You can't mock God. And for that father, the guilt is profound. So there's no time. I mean, if by winsome, I like what Andy Nassali says about it. By winsome, you mean you're winning some to the gospel. That's great. But if by winsome, you mean that you are deceiving people into thinking you agree so that you can hook and bait them for the gospel later, as though they're going to catch the gospel by having a lasagna for you, that's nuts. Yeah. And we don't have time for nuts. Like, there have been times in the Christian life when we've just had a little more time, but we don't have time. And as far as pronoun hospitality, I think 25 years ago, most of the people you would meet would be biological men who probably did have a a gender dysphoric, and gender dysphoria is a lot like anorexia. There's a phobia about your body and it is real in your mind. And I think for many of us, we did not want to exacerbate a comorbidity. But 
what we know now, and we know this through the work of, uh, you know, Miriam Grossman and other uh, psychiatrists, not Christian, but they they know what boys and girls are, imagine that, um, that to encourage a social transition, and that is exactly what using false pronouns are. So using false pronouns is social transition, um, cross-sex hormones is hormonal transition, and then of course the knife is the knife. And what we know now is that there is a path and it starts with a social transition. And if you start there, most people don't get off it. So you need to find a new creative way to bond with people that doesn't exacerbate their comorbidities, but it simply can't be that. But that doesn't mean that it's only a sin because of what's going on in today's culture. Right. It's always been a sin. It's always been the violation of the ninth commandment. God gives us these commandments so that even before they make sense to us, mm -hmm. he knows that they are indeed what we should be doing. And so I sinned, I sinned greatly, and a lot of people followed me in that sin. And mm -hmm. so I repent. So you're looking for a university that's perfect for you, a school that has anything you could possibly need. Anything? You want a place that has the programs you want to study, and maybe a few more, just in case you change your mind. I think I'm going to sign up for the fashion design program. All right. A place with state-of-the-art facilities. I mean, look at this campus. And who doesn't love big town sports? And great recreational activities. Okay, now we're on a roll. Somewhere you can hike, slide, strike, shoot, climb, eat, and most importantly, eat. You want a place that takes you to space? Okay, maybe not, but we can teach you how to fly, or pastor a church, or run a business. And all that with a great view? Yeah, I think I know a place. Well, I, it, it, that is, by the way, that is so helpful. Um, I, I, you know, I think about there, there are a lot of active deceivers right now mm -hmm. in the church today. I've got a friend, Megan Basham, who's coming out with a book called Bad Shepherds. Uh, and, and I largely agree, whether it be, you know, what was happening during COVID-19 and those who were kind of spreading the same misinformation, who knew better. I'm not talking about folks who didn't. I'm talking about those who were in a position of authority those who had the platform, those who actually um, enjoyed the unique privilege of being able to tell referee and tell every, everybody else what to do. Um, right. you know, so there were a lot of folks who didn't have that, um, that, that shared opportunity. And in fact, they were being you know, threatened with their jobs and everything else. Right. Right. The same thing has happened. There, there is a similarity, by the way, between, because you, you mentioned the five, homosexuality is normal, pagan spirituality, is kind and inclusive, and by the way, I think uh, Ross Duthit and others, you know, New York Times, they've they've tracked that it is not about atheism being on the rise; it's pagan spirituality right. that's on the rise. Exactly. The the nuns are not atheists. If anything, they are spiritual. Oh, very much and so. Hyper spiritual, but right. it but it's 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 religion without any again right. guardrails. And then you talk about uh, feminism. We see that, especially today in the church. I'm, I'm seeing people um, revel in this kind of. Well, I'm a, I'm a Christian feminist, right? right. Uh, and then also transnormativity, mm -hmm. and then modesty for women is outdated. And that, I think that kind of 
pairs with the feminism as well uh, under liberation. And so does the feminism and transgenderism because feminism is dead in the world. The only place it's alive is in the evangelical church. And what killed feminism is transgenderism. The, 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 the primary uh, proverb of feminism is that sex and gender are different, right? Because you have to, you have to protect women from progeny and patriarchy. Babies and men. So you can't say, you know, I mean, we have to think of God as some kind of like a crazy engineer that he uh, he creates man and woman with a pattern, but no real purpose. Yes. Yeah, you can't go there. You can't close that loop. And so it's so interesting is by making a false distinction. It's a false distinction. It's not a biblical distinction. There's no difference between sex and gender. That is a feminist proverb. And what do you see today? Well, in the transgender movement, you see no sex and all gender. So now we can dispense with sex entirely, having now created that distinction that was never supposed to be there. And that connects to the line number five, modesty, because it really raises the question, what kind of patriarchy do you want? Do you want biblical patriarchy where godly men are, are, are courageously protecting with God on their side and the Bible, their churches, their families, and pres preserving our culture for the next generation? Or do you want the dudes in skirts? Yeah. Okay, because you get to pick. Yes. You. This is nature, and who knew? It is so interesting, isn't it, that the, the front line of all of these discussions are nature. The problem is right before our very eyes and we can't see it. Mm -hmm. So anyway. It's interesting the way those things connect. There is no distinction between sex and gender, but once you decide there is, Satan's going to stir that up. Yeah. And so here we go, all gender, no sex. And the only people who think feminism is alive, don't. it's not the world. You've got, you've got Title IX that has been trounced by biological men. Absolutely. There is no sacred cow left. It's just in the evangelical church. Yeah. Which is, again, why I just sometimes think that broad evangelicalism cannot, of course, straight trip to the toilet in an emergency, least of all guide us in this moment. Mm -hmm. This is a problem. By the way, going back to Title IX, one of the biggest challenges for Christian institutions, those that are holding the line. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not Harvard, not Princeton, who no, gave no. up the ghost back before there was ever the threat of And conformity. also not Wheaton. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but you said it. And, oh, uh, good. You know, um, but but hey, uh, yes, uh, it, you know, this is not, uh, you know, the Elliott family. I just think of, you know, Billy Graham and others who went Rolling there. Rolling over. Yeah. Yes. Unbelievable. Abs absolutely. Unbelievable. Used to be, used to be on one of the, the bastions of conservatism right. and it's changed. So, so these government agencies buy fiat, right. just like how they print our money, mm -hmm. um, just like the candy handed out at, doled out at Halloween. Uh, they can buy, they can just uh, instantaneously, the rules are changed. You got to do this now. Um, so you have accrediting bodies, you have government agencies, um, and they're going after uh, institutions that want to hold the line. And so this this is a challenge. And and the 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 question you asked um, so important at the very very end of convo, choose this day whom you will serve. That is the that is something we have to do every single day. I'm reminded of what Martin Luther said. Everybody has to do two things. They have to do their own believing. They have to do their own dying. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're going to face, um, obviously, the judgment seat of Christ one day. By the way, with his imputed righteousness, there is no fear. 
Um, but, uh, but, but also recognizing that we have to do our own believing. We have right. to walk with Him. Right. Um, I'm reminded also what you said, I mean, you mentioned it several times, but the words of John Owen in The Mortification of Sin, he says, uh, you, uh, you either be ki- killing sin or it will be killing you. And so we have to confront this and drive a nail through it daily. Uh, every single day. And I sometimes think that part of why Christians have been so unwilling, unable to step out into the fray, I mean, one I think is that we might feel defeated by our own sin. We don't, we don't quite, we know that we're not, we're, we're personally on shaky ground. But I also think the other is this great boogeyman of Christian nationalism. And I'm just tired of it. I'm part of a denomination that believes in the mediatorial kingship of Christ. Yes. Psalm 2. Explain a little bit about that. Yes. Well, Christ is an office holder, prophet, priest, and king. And then when we go to school boards, the legislature, and we defend parental rights, we defend the inherent and um, and eternal, in many ways, distinction, right, between male and female. When we do those things, we are defending them against people who need to be called to Christ, right, school boards and things, not only in their personal life, but in their office. So we need to say things like, you are hanging millstones around the necks of children. And oh, by the way, the American Academy of Pediatricians is being sued, you're next. Yes. Okay. And, and, and the, the, the boogeyman of Christian nationalism, it, you're going to have to go harder to scare me and those of us who believe in the mediatorial kingship of Christ, because we li- we, it, is not, it is not honest to not to fail to call people to repent in their offices, mm-hmm. because Christ has an office. And I, I think we just need to get, we need to get our house in order so that we can be unencumbered to do it. And it's not hard. Yeah. I, you know, what I did at convocation today, you heard that, that went a little long. Sorry about that. That no, was great. Um, but, you know, you get three minutes when you go before the school board, but you get three minutes. Yes. And if you see me do that, you're going to recognize, oh, it's the same person. I'm saying the same thing. And, um, and it's not hard, but I, I will tell you, I'm really blessed to be part of a denomination. I have a dear friend, Andrew Branch, who created a website that just helps all of us in our church know where the school board meeting is, what we need to talk about, get our act together. Oh, you know, we can have dinner and a show if you want. Let's go out to dinner beforehand. And then, but it, 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 is, it is just part of our civic duty. And we have seen progress. We've seen progress in North Carolina. You can, you know, you got to get out there, Christian. Okay, this isn't, we're not doing the holy huddle. You know, we're, but you know, and part of it is it's not safe to do just the holy huddle. We need to have this fight in the street. Yeah. Because it's safer. Yeah. Okay, it's much safer to have this fight in the street than it is to get blackmailed, you know, in some corner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what we're doing in North Carolina. It, out in the public, you know, yes. through, through, yeah, right. Through Absolutely. Public eye, transparent, all of right. that. You, so there's so much here. You know, one of the things I'll say is that um, I, I think what is more recognizable in 2023 is the the false idol of blasé civic religion has kind of been yes. exposed. So you you believe in the real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I I love what Tucker Carlson he calls himself a milk toast Episcopalian. And uh, there was the joke I was reading some biography about George H W Bush when he said you know he was Episcopalian. It was just enough a, a religion. 
uh, to keep you from from the actual thing, you know. Um, anyway, the the point, and and I apologize to any of my Anglican friends who are who are who are amazing and who are born again, but but it is there is a there yes. is a kind of authenticity here that you're being the inauthentic is being exposed for what it is. They want a kind of Ronna McDaniel kind of faith that is just enough to say, hey, look, you know, we'll have a quick prayer and then we'll go ahead and vote and pass legislation that uh, 98% of people can agree with, whether that's honoring to God or not, whether that's actually the will of God or not, we're just going to do our thing and we'll have a quick prayer so God will bless it. But it's not really tapping into the word of truth. It's not, and, and, th- and so they're terrified that Christians might show up and really mean it. Since 1971, Liberty University has had one mission, training champions for Christ. We've been at this for a while, and in the shadow of the Blue Ridge Mountains, we have grown to be a global force. Today, Liberty runs over 100,000 students around the globe, studying across 15 colleges and schools, and among them, over 30,000 military students. Across 700 programs of study, we train as one, nurses, artists, business leaders of the future and today. Together, we work to give back through service trips, local community work, and over 500,000 volunteer hours per year. And we play just as hard as we study with 20 NCAA athletic programs and 40 club sports teams. So who are we? We are Liberty University and we train champions for Christ. Absolutely, and you give a three minute talk at a school board and they'll talk about that three minute talk three months later Mm -hmm. because the world needs to see Christians you know, the world sees conservatives and, you know, you know, populists, right? They, they're the ones that hold up pictures of mutilated teenage bodies. They're the ones that hold up the pictures at the meetings of the boy who castrated himself mm-hmm. and the parent who approved and the girl who mutilated herself and the parent who approved. But we are Christians. We don't throw anybody away. We don't hold these people up as examples of what not to do. We call them to Christ and we call that school board to Christ. And we give the warning in Psalm 2 because in Christ, in that new Jerusalem, in that resurrected body, when Christ returns, the body of that 14-year-old boy that's been castrated is resurrected in glory. And he's now the man he was meant to be. And that dad needs to understand that. And that son needs to understand that. But this nonsense faith, this, this nonsense pluralism, I don't want David French as my pastor. Amen. Okay, I, I don't even want him to be talking for me because he's Could talking out of names to that one. Both. By the way. Well, you know, we're just. I'm just <laughs> yeah. I've had two cups of coffee, Ryan. That's we're just good. getting started. <laughs> Step aside. Yeah. Because people need the hope of the real Christian faith. This is a war zone out there. We're not playing church anymore. Mm. And so. You can take all, all of this. Christianity Today, I'll add some more. Take yeah. it all. Yeah. Because the power is in the resurrected Christ. And it's in the little people who show up to these school board meetings and who know that and who share the gospel 
I met a man, he's 80 years old. He almost got arrested at a school board meeting. I met him at a, at a political meeting and he said, oh, Rosaria, I'm so glad to meet you. And his wife was like, I'm so glad you're taking things over. At 80, we just can't get arrested. Yeah. <laughs> so where are, let's, let's, let's yeah. help this older generation. They knew what was right. Some of us may have gotten off track, repent and turn, value what is good, don't believe the liars. Don't give any room to the tyrants and let God be glorified. Oh, I get it. Some of us are going to lose our jobs. Sure. I get it. Some of us are going to get arrested. Yep. Some of us are going to get killed and all the glory goes to God. Mm, amen. Okay. They signal to me that we're supposed to wrap up, but I have to ask you one more question. Yes. There are those who are very pessimistic. They're looking around. I'm talking Christians, and and there are folks who might be watching. They say they might say, Rosaria, is there any hope yeah. in, in in the future? Not just for the not just for the age to come. Right. You know, there's the right whole now. right now. Can right. I look around? Are we going to see victory in our lifetime on any of these issues? Right. I actually believe that we will. But I believe that it, 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 it's going to get bumpy. I think it's going to get difficult. I think it's going to weed out a lot of garbage. Oh, yeah. And we want that. Yes. See, this is the weeding out time. So, so doctrine matters. So if you're, if you're mopey right now, let's do a doctrine check. Mm. All right. Doctrine matters. You serve a risen, resurrected Lord. And I believe he's a king. And kings come back to kingdoms. They don't come back to nonsense. So we've got work to do. It'll probably get harder before it gets better. And Hebrews 11 is where we need to go. You know, what do we know about the power of the resurrected God in the life of, of, of Christians with feet on the floor, genuinely serving him? Mm -hmm. Some were saved from the mouths of lions and others were sawn in two. Yeah. And to God goes all the glory. So it's not over when we're over. There is, uh, but it's not over. And we in North Carolina are seeing change. We're seeing movements. The Lord is not leaving. The Lord is not weak. He is not unable to save, to redirect. Mm. And we are to apply with hope and vigor. And the grown-ups need to enter the room. Yeah, amen. I love the Hebrews 11 uh, connection. Um, they greeted the promise. They, although they didn't see them fulfilled, they greeted them from afar. Therefore, we have no lasting city, but we seek the one that is to come. And so I, I do believe that there is a lot of hope. And uh, I do think that we're going to see some amazing things that God is going to do yeah. because the time is desperate. Yeah. And so who do we, who do we have but him? So thank you so much for joining. Thank you, Ryan. This really has appreciate been fun. and and everything that you're doing. And folks, I definitely want to encourage you to read the book. What is it again? Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age by Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. And stick around for final thoughts. Hey, thank you for watching the Give Me Liberty podcast. Please like and subscribe and share with a friend. I am so thankful to have had the honor and the privilege to sit down with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and I'm so grateful that she joined us for this episode. Her story of redemption through Jesus Christ should bring encouragement and inspiration to every single one of us. It should also repudiate the lie of the culture and the lie of many, I would say, within the evangelical world that we somehow have to 
compromise the truth in order to reach more. Rosaria gave a masterclass in courage and conviction. She stands firm on the truth, and she recognizes that in order to be credible as a gospel witness, we must not compromise any of it. The church is in many ways finding itself at a crossroads. We can either stand firm on the truth of Scripture or succumb to an ever-changing culture and all of its whims that are hostile to the Word of God. We must heed Dr. Butterfield's warnings and not fall prey to the lies of our anti-Christian age. I hope that you will read this book. I hope that it will be a source of encouragement to you. Our culture right now needs the truth, and if the church isn't preaching it, then who will? Stand firm, remain in God's Word, and until next time, God bless you.